we continue our series on the vow we've worked up, and here we are the day of the honeymoon. And so it is a little PG-13, so if you have someone in here that you don't want them to learn things, maybe they haven't learned yet, go ahead and escort them out. We have a great children's ministry, or Jonathan will, the ninth and 10th and 11th graders that need to hang out with you, they can be out there as well. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, man. So anyway, um, excited. How many of you had had a great spring break? A couple of you. Most of you are like, I didn't have a spring break. I work. That's good. All right. Spring break, you're back. So here we are on the honeymoon looking at Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 1, going all the way through chapter 4 to verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. So I've been thinking about this this series and stuff, my family's kind of helped me every once in a while kind of come up with creative names for the sermon titles. And so obviously the series is called The Vow and um, everyone has a little bit of different different title, different name to go with the deal. And so the titles this week were, were um, kind of, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, we, we like Larry the Cable Guy at our, at our house. And so my daughter and some of the other ones are like, hey, let's call it by the great theologian Larry the Cable Guy, let's call it Get Her Done. And I was like, probably not. The other day we were, I don't know, what, what, even what we were doing. I, I think I had tea or something in bed, just kind of relaxing for a moment, enjoying a great classic book, War and Peace or something. And uh, Becky just like jumps in the bed because we've got this really tall bed, so she's got to like pole vault herself to get into it. And here she comes, and I've got my hot tea, and I'm just relaxed and chilled and she does her pool vault and into the bed, and I'm like, whoa, 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 man, you almost spilt my tea. And she's like, hey, don't bring your hot stuff to bed. I was like, hey, that's good. Write that down. That's good. That's good. And then the other day, I don't even, we were driving somewhere or something like that, and I, we have this kind of running joke where we have those heaters, you know, those rear end seaters, the back things on your car and stuff, seat warmers, you know, those newfangled cars. And so we kind of have this running joke, and so you try to, our goal is to like turn the, seater, the seat warmer on, and the other person doesn't know. So they're kind of going. So the other day, we were coming back from something, and I had turned it on, and she's like, oh my goodness, you turned on the heat without me even asking. And I was like, yes, I did, baby. Yes, I did. Hey, listen, God is not surprised that sexual intimacy is good. He created it. He's not surprised. The problem is, is a culture that we have manufactured this false idea of what sexual intimacy is and what it's about and what the purpose is. We've just messed it up. I mean, just turned on the TV for just a little bit and just the commercials. I mean, I've even got to watch what TV shows I watch based upon the commercials that come on because there are things that I don't want my kids, especially my son at his age, to be privy to because I don't want to be answering all those questions turn on the TV and watch a few commercial cycles and it's obvious as a culture that we're messed up, that we think some pills will kind of fix some things. We think some creams or lotions or potions are going to make you howl at the moon. Okay? And the church, for whatever reason, has strayed away from sexual intimacy. And so we've allowed our schools to kind of come in and to teach sexual relationships without the boundaries of morality. And so we just kind of whatever, do this and do that. And so as a church, we've kind of pulled back from it. And so is it any wonder that we struggle in this area and that because of the Internet, the, the rapid growth of pornography and the use of pornography through the Internet, is it any wonder that that's happened because as a church we've pulled back and for the salt and the light, we're not teaching the truth about God's purpose for what creative 
for being creative and what it means to be relational together in an intimate relationship in a good way. We shouldn't be surprised that we struggle with it. As a matter of fact, that we even have more and more people are addicted not only to pornography but all kinds of crazy stuff. So as we've been talking about this vow thing over the last few weeks, we're going to camp here at the honeymoon. And so it's going to be a little different picture. It's going to be something that maybe you've not ever heard about or discussed in church. And so if you want to blush a little bit, blush a little bit. I'm going to smirk. I'm going to smile. Okay? And so let's just relax and dig in here to chapter 4 of Song of Solomon. So imagine with me in this moment. They've had the, the, um, the wedding ceremony, and now here they are. They're in the king's chambers. And so imagine the vulnerability of that moment, all right? And so he's kind of setting the mood for that moment. This is the groom talking to the bride. And so imagine with me, you're in the king's chambers. It's, they're, they're excited about this moment. They've had all this build up to this moment. And he's on one side of the room, and she's on the other side of the room. And there's the vulnerability of this moment happening. And he begins to talk to her and affirms her. And the very first thing that he begins to do is he begins to talk to her mind. The thing that women want most from us, the greatest thing that women need from us are words of affirmation. So the beginning of the romance for the bride here is that the groom is talking to her and he's talking to her mind and he's giving her words of affirmation. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he begins by saying, hey, you are beautiful, my darling. You are beautiful. You are everything that I can dream about. And so she's hearing this in this moment. It's the most vulnerable moment of her life. She is there before him and he's like, listen, you are beautiful. I see you from across the room and you are as beautiful as I've ever imagined. I've, this, this is the moment. I see you and all your vulnerability and I love what I see. Thank you, God, for what you're providing for me. He continues just to feed into this mind of saying, listen, I know that it's an uncomfortable moment for you, but I want you to know you are perfect for me. And this woman is hearing these words of affirmation, how beautiful you are, setting the mood. True romance happens for a lady in the right environment. Guys, this is why we do jazz music and candles and all those different things. We're talking, we're sharing, we're saying, hey, listen, we are setting the stage for this moment because we want you to trust us in this moment. We're Men pursue sex to get romance or pursue romance to get sex. Women need romance, and so they give sex. For the romance, and so in this moment, here's this this groom, and listen, it's been a long time. They've been dating, they've been courting, they've been having raisin cakes, they've been having apples, and he's excited about this moment, and he takes the time and he says, "Listen, I see you from across the room, and you are gorgeous, you are beautiful, you've everything I've dreamed about." Women are verbal, and they're moved by what they hear and what they feel. In other words, common day vernacular: women are crockpots, men are microwaves. Let me repeat that for you guys. <laughs> Women are crockpots. Men are microwaves. Listen, guys, we are incredibly good at tripping over the crockpot cord and pulling that baby out because we say some really dumb stuff. And then we're amazed and in wonder why in the crockpot brewing because earlier in the day you unplugged it and you didn't even realize it and you thought the crockpot was brewing because you were doing stuff and she like, mm-mm. No, sir, not only is the crock pot unplugged, but I put it underneath the sink and you can't even find it. <laughs> Women, you know, you're laughing because you know it's true. We say dumb stuff and we turn off the crock pot. Women require words of affirmation, thoughtful words. 
And oftentimes, men, they are met by us and we are silent partners. We're not only not offering words of affirmation, but we're completely silent. And so they want a partner that will romance them. And the way that one of the best ways that we can romance them is to give them thoughtful words of affirmation. Again, I said a few weeks ago, when's the last time that you came in the front door and you just kind of fell down at her feet and began to just say, hey, I, you are the most beautiful thing that I've seen today. I've dreamed about coming home to you. You are everything that I dreamed about. And I guarantee you, maybe you've uncro- you know, unplugged the crockpot earlier, you'll get that crockpot. At least they'll, she'll find it at least, okay? Get moving. Our women need words of affirmation and security. It's no wonder to us that women need words of affirmation, but men are highly visual. We see things and we're moved by that. That's why we have the, the commercials that we have. That's why the pictures are drawn and the pictures are put up for us because we're highly visual people. And so here you have this image of these two, this groom on one side of the room and the bride on the other side. And he's looking and he's saying, how beautiful you are, my darling. And he begins then to describe her beauty from the, her eyes and her hair all the way down to her feet. So he begins to describe how he sees her and the beauty of her. Verse the second part of verse 1, it says, Your eyes are like doves. He sees the peace and the purity and the innocence when he looks at her, the innocence of his bride behind your veil. And remember, this is going to be the first time for about 12 months that anyone has looked upon her face outside of her mother and father, maybe a brother within the home, because she's protected her radiant beauty for a year now that she's been engaged to this guy and so anytime that she's gone outside of her house she's worn this veil so now here in this moment is this very first time he lifts that veil and it's the first time that he's seen her eyes for now a year so you can imagine the moment and the anticipation of lifting that veil for both of them and he lifts it up and he's like wow your eyes i remember i've forgotten how beautiful your eyes are they are pure and white like doves and the innocence of that moment, he liked what he saw and he told her. As men, as we're visible, visual beings, to be able to share with our wives how beautiful they are and remind them in those moments of the feelings and, and romance them with appropriate words. As he begins to undress her in that moment, he starts with the veil and starts with her mind and starts at the top to reveal her eyes and her face. Invert the second part of that, he says, Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. I know, that's like, whoa, man. (laughs) Woo, get that baby going. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Imagine with me if you lived back in this day and you were the king's goat herder, all right? And so you look up on the mountaintop and you see this wonderful, because that's where all the, the sheep and goats were at, were on the top of the mountains. And so at the end of the day, you would see the sheep, they would call down and you would see the sheep and goats coming down. So he's imagining as his bride takes off the veil, her hair begins to fall, the black curly hair. And so he's seeing it fall down and she does the whole movie thing of, you know, she flips it. You don't get the same effect with my mane that I've got, but she's doing and they do this whole thing. And so just imagine that she takes off the veil and the hair is falling and he's like, wow. It reminds me of the sheep and the goats coming down, the beauty of that moment. And it, it, obviously it worked because she stayed there. She didn't go, come on now, that's crazy. Her hair was enticing, and he was again drawn in. Verse 2, your teeth are as white as sheep. Again, not something we would say today, but recently shorn and freshly washed. This would be funny, actually, if they started doing commercials 
like this, like hair commercials, like, you know, you got your pert. Your hair will be like a flock of goats coming down if you wear a pert. Sorry, my ADHD coming through. Your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn and freshly washed. Your smile is flawless. Each tooth matched with its twin. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, you got all your teeth. Win number two, you got your teeth. Sweet. Awesome. She may not have chewed. All right, I've been in places around the world where, where black teeth are actually beautiful, and so women will chew like a hickory and a chicory type stuff, and they'll smile, and you're like, whoa, it's not something that we're used to. And back in that day, that meant that, hey, that you come, you've been taking care of yourself. You have all of your teeth. Verse 3, your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. So again, here he is from across the room, and imagine they keep moving. He's already gotten closer because he's lifted up the veil. And he says, your eyes are like doves. Your hair falls down. I love the beauty of your hair. And then he's talking about her lips and her teeth. And so this is a very intimate moment of them kind of building up. What's amazing is that throughout this whole time, they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and even the moment that you think is about to happen doesn't happen here till the end, verse 16. He continues to describe her beauty. Your lips, and then the second part of verse 3, your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. You can imagine... In this intimate moment, and they're close together, and he's talking to her, and he's whispering, and so he's talking these words of affirmation, and here he is, he's lifted up her veil, and again, he's affirming her, and these, just right back here in her cheek, she begins to blush. And pomegranates, again, were like apples and raisin cakes, they were aphrodisiacs, and so he's just saying, listen, just looking at your cheeks, looking at your eyes, that's an aphrodisiac for me, that just, just it's doing it for me. I'm excited about this moment. And so she just begins to blush. She's thinking, wow, he sees me in all of who I am, and he still loves me. The pomegranates on her cheeks. In verse 4, your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David. Again, it's one of those phrases where we're like, huh? Jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Back in the day with David, he would, they would hang their shields on the outside of the tower of the king's tower. And so you can imagine all these brass and bronze shields that were around, and it was letting the people know that, hey, we're ready for war at any moment. And so that even when the heroes were gone off to war, they would come back, and even moments of peace, they would have their shields around. And so whenever you would walk up to the Tower of David from the city, you could see that the shields were there, and it was a, a warning to people around, but also it spoke of beauty. And so what the king here, the groom, is saying is like, listen, when I see the jewelry and that the way that the light shines off of the bronze and the, and the brass that you're wearing, it looks like the Tower of David. And everyone speaks about the Tower of David and the security that comes from up, the beauty that comes from that. And so he's just, again, affirming her and saying, listen, the jewelry that you're wearing just makes you stand out even more, and it just adds to your beauty and reflects who you are. He continues on, and he says, you just, just describe her beauty from head to toe. And verse 5, he says, your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. And this is the idea of gentle, soft, supple, but then also that they remember a few weeks ago we talked about she kept her pouch of, of perfume, and the myrrh and the frankincense was right here. And he's saying, listen, well, what I'm seeing I'm liking, but also I can smell it. So the taste, the touch, the smell, everything about this moment is, is building the anticipation. 
one of the things that I want to kind of mention in this moment is obviously that communication is a key to vulnerability. And so this is something that I talk with couples as they prepare for, for marriage, they prepare for wedding. I was like, listen, you guys need to be talking about what are some of these things when this happens? What are the things that you anticipate? What are the things that maybe are, you're afraid of? And be honest and vulnerable in this so that it takes away some of the fear in that first moment that you're together. And so even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4 and 5, Paul talks about this responsibility for the husband and wife to, to communicate with one another as they're vulnerable with one another. He says this, The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, listen. Husband and wives, communicate to one another what your needs are, what you're anticipating, so that you can refrain from and help each other stay away from temptation. Because we are, as men, we're visual beings. And so as men, we need to communicate to our wives, hey, here's what we need. Here's some of the things that, that, we're, that we need to talk about. And for the wives to begin to talk to their husbands and have these discussions. If you can't have these discussions with your husband or your wife, then who can you have them with? And so to be able to say, listen, I, I want us to experience the fullness of what God has given us, created for us. Let's talk about this and not be, have the um, moments where fear and anxiety reign where it shouldn't be. Because listen. Let's be honest. We're extremely vulnerable in these moments. And for a husband and a wife to be able to talk and to walk through some of these things is extremely important. But trust and communication is the key for that. In verse 6, Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee, I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh to the hill of frankincense. In other words, again, that pouch, her smell is pleasing. Remember, that she has that pouch that's sent, and he's, again, pleasing to her. And he closes out this dialogue of them being close together in verse 7. You are all together beautiful. Remember verse, verse 1, he's, you're all together beautiful. He repeats that phrase. He's keeping the crockpot going, and he's saying, you're all together beautiful, my darling, beautiful in every way. In other words, he's looked at her from head to toe, and he's described her from head to toe, and he comes back and he says, listen, I, you are beautiful. You are everything I could possibly imagine affirming her beauty, setting the mood. You don't like Kenny G? How about Barry White? Y'all don't know who Barry White is? Okay. All right. One of the things we understand is that Latin was the official language of the Roman Empire at the time, so that was the, the legal language. So when you needed to, to, to do a contract or do something in a legal way, you would do it in Latin and they would seal it in Latin. But whenever around the other countries around, they had the other languages, so Spain and and Italy, and all these other places, and they had their own language, their regional languages, and so they became known as the Romance language, so that a husband and a wife could talk to one another. It wasn't a language of legality, but it was a language of romance. Men, our wives don't need legal language and contract language. They want the language of love and of romance and of speaking the words that they know and they understand. Again, men give romance to get sex. Women give sex to get romance. And for us as men and women to understand that and to talk and to discuss those moments of vulnerability. Verse 8, 
Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. This is the first time in this dialogue that he calls her his bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down from Mount Amana, from the peaks of Sinur and Hermon, where the lions have their dens and leopards live among the hills. He's inviting her to him. So even through this whole description, this whole time, he hasn't charged, he hasn't rampaged, he's been waiting for this whole thing. And listen, that's, guys, we're, we're ready and fired up. And even in this moment, he stops, he says, listen, the romance continues. He's inviting to her. He's concerned about her needs and her feelings just as much as he's concerned about his own. Verse 9, you've captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. So maybe some of these other ones, little phrases haven't worked, but maybe this one will. You've captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace, the sight of her. He just sees a glimmer of her and he catches and it just, he, he's drawn to her. Again, the, the visualness of the man and he sees this woman and he's drawn to the beauty of who she is. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume more fragrant than spices. I've heard that wine is intoxicating and sweet. So I also imagine kind of like a little kid. He's saying, listen, I want to get a sugar rush from you. Give me one of those, not just one of those little bitty kitty pixie sticks. I want the ganjo pixie sticks that are like this because I want to drink deep of your love. Babe, we've been waiting a long time. Don't just give me the little pixie stick. Give me the big thing. I want a sugar rush in this moment. He's pleased by everything about her, the sight, the smell, the taste, the touch, the sound. All of this moment are coming into unison. And he says to her, you're my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring and a hidden fountain. In other words, she was his and his alone. Remember, if you remember back a few weeks ago, we talked about that she even ran as as a mare, she ran among the stallions and she was able to refrain and to stay away. The trust and character that she displayed, he understood that no matter who entered into their friendship, no matter who entered into her orbit, that she was trustworthy and that they, from this moment, from the moment that they said their covenant, that they would be together and theirs alone. Verse 13 and 14, Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices, henna with nard, nard with saffron and fragrant calamus and cinnamon and with all the trees of frankincense and myrrh and aloes and every other lovely spice you are a garden fountain a well of fresh water streaming down from lebanon's mountains he's telling her listen the king's garden you only get to enter by invite and so whenever the king would invite someone in it was a personal invitation he's saying listen being with you and experiencing what I'm about to experience with you is like getting invited into the king's garden. And not everyone gets to come into this paradise, but I do. And I know that no one else has ever been able to come in. It's just our private garden. And that the bounty of the garden that God has provided for us is that every time that we are together, every time that we have these moments together, it's an adventure. And I will never be bored. I will always have an opportunity to learn more about you and who you are in these moments. Because see, sexual intimacy isn't just about the act. That's just part of it. 
It's the communication and the talk and the, the vulnerability of the moment and opportunities to discuss. Because in those things, that builds trust to go deeper into deeper into your relationship. To be that vulnerable with someone opens up doors to, to so many other things about that other person. And what he's saying is, listen, it's not just about that moment in the bedroom, but it, opportun- it opens up so much more about you that I get to learn about who this woman is. I get to know who this man is at the deepest levels. And I can trust you because you've been able to run with the stallions. You've been able to run with the mares. And I can tell you the deepest secrets of my heart and know that they can be entrusted. And part of it is that we get to experience the bounty of this garden together where only the king and only his queen get invited to walk together and spend time together. Awake, north wind, rise up, south wind, blow on my garden and spread all its fragrance all around. Come into my garden, my love. She invites him in. Taste its finest fruits. The woman responds, and it's good. And they finally experience the oneness together. Women are crockpots. Men are microwaves. For us to understand that that moment is so much more than just that moment, but the words of affirmation, the communication that happens, the vulnerability that takes place. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. I've entered my garden, my treasure, my bride. I gather myrrh with spices and eat honeycomb with my honey. I drink wine with my milk. In other words, you guys keep partying. My wife and I are going to be here for a while. They enjoyed the moment. Again, it wasn't just about the moment. It's about the courting and the dating, the vulnerability, building up, understanding the character of the man, the character of the woman. So when we got to this moment, there was no shame, there was no regret, there was no looking back, understanding this is my man, this is my woman, and we get to enjoy life together from this moment forward. If you're single, doesn't this just get you excited about what God's plan is for you? Be able to say, listen, we're going to take the right steps. I'm going to protect my heart. I'm going to protect my mind. I'm going to protect what God has for me. And I'm going to date wisely. I'm going to choose wisely. So in that moment, I can experience everything that God has for me. For those of you that are married, begin to think about, man, are we able to truly communicate on a deep level and experience and understand the vulnerability that we should have with one another? Can we talk about our finances? Can we talk about our kids? Can we talk about sexual sexuality? Can we talk about spirituality? If you are afraid of talking about those things, the core of that is trust in your communication. And the foundation of that for us as followers of Jesus is Jesus. And so if we both know Jesus, that we're at this foundation, and listen, we shouldn't be growing apart, but we should be growing together. And so the part of growing together and being able to experience what, what God truly wants for us in marriage, the basis of that is communication founded upon Jesus Christ. And for us to know that, listen, I can trust my wife with the deepest of deepest joys, but the deepest of deepest hurts. And to know that as we do life together, that we trust one another, and that the, the bedroom is just an expression of what's been happening throughout the week. And that I want to give to her exactly more than what she wants, and it's not about me, but it's about her. And that that's what Paul talks about. He says, listen, Marriage is not about 50-50. It's not even about 100-100. It's about us totally selling out to one another and saying, listen, my desire as a follower of Jesus is to outserve my wife. And that I know that I know that I know that my wife's desire 
It's to not get what she wants, but it's to outserve me. So that when a husband and wife come together and say, listen, we're going to try to outserve one another because of how Jesus has radically been generous with us, then that changes our perspective on marriage. It changes our perspective of all relationships, that relationships are not about me and what I'm getting, but about what I can give to the other person. So that's why it's choosing to love even when you turn over and you look and go, (laughs) the honeymoon's over. But you choose to love and say, listen, it's not about me. I've chosen to serve this woman. I've chosen to serve this man for the rest of my life. And that's a self-sacrificing part. And the beauty of that is expressed in the intimacy of the bedroom. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. You've given us relationships. That You've given us man and woman and the, the bounty of what that looks like, the fullness of what that can look like for us. And that the bridegroom, you, is excited about the bride. That even as we look at ourselves in the mirror, that we see all of the scars, all of the imperfections, but that you look at us And you see the beauty of our eyes. You see the beauty of our hair. You see the beauty of our neck. And Father, it's not just about the physical things, but about the character that you're developing in us. Father, I pray for those that are single here this morning that they would not settle for second best. That just because they know and they're comfortable in a relationship that it may not be the best. Father, I pray for these couples that are married. And Lord, we are naturally selfish beings. That's our natural bent. That's our natural focus. But Father, through the good news of Jesus Christ, that we have a changed heart and a new heart. Father, I pray for these couples all of these couples, no matter how long they've been married or how short they've been married, Father, that they would begin to, to re-grasp this idea of outserving their spouse for your glory and your fame. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of the things that I say often at weddings whenever I'm performing weddings is I tell the husbands, that means that you need to be providing breakfast in bed. That means you need to be washing the dishes that means you need to be doing things that are outside of maybe your, your comfort zone. That means, ladies, you need to be changing oil in cars. You need to be fixing roofs. It's that idea of radical craziness of saying, listen, I'm going to outserve my spouse because it's not about me. It's about caring for my spouse and loving them and serving them and how different it would change and how different it would make our marriages and our relationships if we began to see that it's not about me but it's about serving that other person.